Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and Bruce and I are the authors of 36 and counting cookbooks, including the latest out this fall, fall of 2023, the Look and Cook Air Fryer Bible. If you listen to this podcast, you already know about it. It is a 125 recipe cookbook with 704 photographs. Unbelievable. Every single step of every recipe photographed. So you can't make a mistake. It is already available for pre-order on every site you can imagine. Barnes & Noble, Amazon, your local booksellers, independent sellers, all those places you can pre-order it. And just to be completely self-indulgent, to let you know, pre-orders are how publishers determine the success ultimately of a book. So if you're interested in the book, we would love a pre-order. But we're not going to talk about that in this podcast. We're going to talk about farmer's markets, a lot about farmer's markets. We've got an interview with the manager of farmer's market. We're going to give you our thoughts on farmer's markets. We've got a one-minute cooking tip, and we're going to tell you what's making us happy in food this week. So let's get started. Mark and I moved to the country 17 years ago from the middle of Manhattan. And when we lived in Manhattan, we went to the big farmer's market on 14th Street, Union Square, and it was lovely and we liked it. And when we moved to the country... And wait, can I just interrupt and say, if you don't know the story, we moved, as Bruce says, from the middle of Manhattan. Well... 24th and 9th. Chelsea, middle of Manhattan. Yeah, Yeah, kind of lower down than middle of the world. (laughs) Oh, wow. I think that there are many people who disagree with that. But okay, we moved from the middle of Chelsea in Manhattan to, and I mean rural, rural, rural New England. The middle of nowhere. There was a local farmer's market in the next town over (laughs) and so different than anything we'd experienced in Union Square. Mm -hmm. You know, Union Square, you go get the nice eggs, you know, they're $25 a dozen, (laughs) and you get, you know... You're speaking of the Union Square farmer's market in New York City. For people who don't know New York City, you're such a New Yorker. You just are such a New Yorker. You come up here and the eggs are $4 a dozen, so it was much nicer but we had this brilliant idea that we were going to rent a table for the first two years we were here at the farmer's market, and we were going to sell our cookbooks and make cookies. And if you bought a cookbook, you got a cookie. And why did we do this, Mark? We did it to meet people. That's it's true. really crazy. We did this not because we wanted to sell our cookbooks, because technically, just so we hope our publishers aren't listening, uh, authors are actually contractually prohibited from making a profit on their own cookbooks personally. So you can't sell your own cookbooks, but we did anyway. So let's just hope no publisher is listening <laughs> to this podcast. But anyway, we did it to meet people because we, we live so remotely and so we're we wanted a place where people gather together, mm-hmm. and so we started uh, selling cookbooks there to meet people. It's the same reason, kind of, except I love doing it. It's the same reason I started running the book group at the local library. And I have to say, oh my gosh, what? Half our friends come from those various places. We made point. some really wonderful friends with those. And I want to just tell a story about that farmer's market. First of all, half the time we were there, it rained. Yes, so it was like true. we had this thing about books and water. They really not a good combination. Terrible. But, Terrible combination. But there was a woman at the next table from us the first year who made jewelry, and she was an old German woman, and very old. She was like in her 90s. And she came over to us, and she said, oh, you're new in town. I mean, you live down the road from me, so you will come for tea, <laughs> and then I will come for you for tea, and we'll see who makes the better tea. And you... <laughs> 
It was really frightening. You should know that Bruce, as a good New York Jew, is always freaked out by a German accent. So, well, I assumed she was a Nazi, and so we said, "So, what happens to the loser of the tea contest?" And so we referred to her as the Nazi down the road for years until we found out actually, actually, <laughs> that she was in the resistance mm. and she was half Jewish, mm-hmm. and it was so. Here I am, and she was practically deported. She was only saved from deportation by the end of the war. I yep. mean, she was set for deportation. Yep on a train and she was saved at the end of the war but she actually helped Jews escape from Germany and there was even a documentary about her so (laughs) the Nazi down the road turned out to be a Jewish resistance fighter good for her (laughs) so yes anyway you meet the greatest people of farmers markets I tell you let me say that years ago and this is when eating well was still being published Bruce and I wrote an article about the 10 best farmers markets in the United States. It was a really fun article to write, really fun article to research and go and see and do. And back in the days when you had expense accounts, and it was kind of a crazy article to write. And we wrote about the Madison farmers market, the very terminal, Madison, Wisconsin (laughs) farmers market, the very terminal market in San Francisco, the Portland, Oregon farmers market. We had all kinds of farmers markets that we listed them. I think we gave Madison, Wisconsin our number one rated for the whole country. It was the number one rated. Yeah. So anyway, we did this and, you know, farmers markets were very hot and farmers markets have become very not hot. They have kind of passed out of hotdom and become something that's almost routine or people take for granted, which is really kind of sad because here's the thing. And here's my thing. AI is coming. It's coming faster than any of us can ever imagine. And AI is eventually, you know this, going to take over your supermarket. And not only will it be stocking the shelves of your supermarket, but there'll be no one even to check out anything. You already have have to check out your own stuff as it is. The AI is coming everywhere. And if you, as I, are concerned about the AI takeover of workplace jobs, a farmer's market is a grand place to fight back because you are buying local from somebody who is selling. It is a great place to exercise your capitalistic (laughs) muscle and buy whatever it is you can from the person selling it. What I love about farmer's markets is also that you can find new stuff. And we know Mark and I know a lot about food, and we know a lot about interesting greens and cheeses and all that, but it never fails that we will discover something new when we go to a farmer's market. In fact, the the local farmer's market where we had a table, one year this Vietnamese family came in and were selling South Asian greens, Southeast Asian greens. And some of these greens were red, were yellow. They weren't just greens, but they were they were yeah. leafy vegetables. And we discovered some things that even we didn't know about. Yep. And it's just so wonderful to be able to find new things. It is. And it's a really nice thing. And let me also say that the little farmer's market, I mean, the farmer's market that we go to, it's actually not in our town in New England. As Bruce said, it's one town over from us. And um, it's really small. I mean, really, you can loop it in five minutes and be done with it. But of course, we never do. We take our dogs and we loop it several times because part of also going to a farmer's market, especially if you live in rural locations, is meeting people it and is. seeing people that you know. But even let's say the Dallas Farmer's Market, which is a fantastic place, maybe not to meet your neighbors, but to meet people who grow food around Dallas, Texas. It's a really nice place to establish relationships. I think a farmer's market's also a really nice place to pick people up. 
I think oh. you could have it could really be a nice dating place rather than going to a bar. Go to the there's going to be a lot of single people at that farmers oh. market, and you know they'll have something in common with oh. you because they like farmers oh, markets. My God, years ago, Bruce and I were hired by the Potato Board. Believe it or not, there is the United States Potato Board, different from the Idaho Potato Board oh, and, and the National Potato Board. <laughs> so the U.S. Potato Board hired us because they had this whole theory that they were going to sell potatoes by making singles mixers on weekend nights in the produce section. And we were, I'm not making this up. And we were supposed to, because their new campaign was marketing uh, potatoes for two, small bags of little potatoes. Potatoes for two, how cute. And they were going to have singles socials in pickups, hookup places, in supermarket produce sections. This is long before Tinder or Grinder or Bumble. You had to meet people through the U.S. Potato Board. (laughs) (laughs) It's the most absurd campaign I'd ever heard of, and it ended up, the campaign collapsed, just to finish this Oh, Kel Surprise. Yeah, Kel (laughs) Surprise. And we were supposed to be there doing potato events, right? And (laughs) cooking potatoes for singles. I mean, honestly, who was going to show up to the produce section at 8 p.m. on a Saturday night alone? But okay. So we're supposed to be doing Looking it. Looking for love in all the wrong, wrong places. places. <laughs> and uh, anyway, it, it collapsed, and we ended up doing two events at Albertsons in Phoenix. And Desperately that, trying to give away potato peelers with the name of the book on them. That was literally <laughs> what happened to the entire advertising campaign. It collapsed to two Albertsons in Phoenix. It was really embarrassing. Anyway, let's go back to farmer's markets. Shopping at fa- farmer's markets, uh, there is a way to get deals oh, yeah. at farmer's markets. Yeah, 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 and we yeah. want to encourage you to shop at farmer's markets because you can find new things. You can comparison shop. You can meet local people. You can establish relationships with vendors. Uh, we had a wonderful time at the Asheville, North Carolina Farmer's Market when we were there last year for, on vacation in Asheville. Um, but there are a couple ways to get deals. Go when the weather's bad. That's the first one. Fewer people will be there because people don't want to go out in the rain. And farmers are more likely to want to say, you know what? I'm going to give you an extra pound of tomatoes, even though you just bought three. Here's an extra pound, just That's because right. they don't it's want to schlep them back home. It's not necessarily rain. It's just inclement weather. Mm-hmm. If it's foggy, or if it's drizzly, or if it's really badly overcast, or it's a chilly day. I know it's hard to believe, but yes, in New England, we actually get chilly days in the summer. If it's chilly, the, it, you'll find that suddenly the deals are a plenty. And the other way is to get a deal is to Go to your local farmer's market at the end of the oh, day. Oh, because no vendor there wants to bring four extra crates of strawberries home with them. Correct. So they will sell them to you at a deep discount. Now, you might not always get what you want if you go at the end of the day because they right. might be out of the strawberries. Right. But you might get something you didn't even know you wanted and you'll get it at a good price. Yeah, what we learn here in rural New England is what is highly priced beyond almost anything is ras- oh, are yes, raspberries and sour cherries. Yes, and if they you are. don't go really early in the morning, you are going to get no Sour but you're not going to get a deal on them. No <laughs> They're at a premium. No, those are at a premium. But it is true that people want to get rid of the leafy greens at the end of the day. they don't last, and they've been out of water or out of refrigeration all day, so they really need to be taken care of right away. So yeah. you can get a ton of lettuce and herbs and all that at the end of the day for really good. And Mark said when you get there, make a couple of laps of the farmer's market. Part of that is you want to see what everybody has. If you buy yeah. strawberries from the first person, 
you might find better strawberries down the aisle or right. cheaper ones or more expensive well, ones. Well, and, you know, Bruce is, has relatives who live on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and we visit them quite often. And they're about, what, three blocks away from Eastern Market, which yeah. isn't really a true farmer's market, but no. it's a nice place to go. And we always make a pilgrimage to Eastern Market, and we always lap it once mm-hmm. See to what's look there. at everything inside the building and who's got what cheese and who's got what this and who's got what that and what steak look good from what butcher and that kind of thing. And then we go back and buy. So we always make one loop just to kind of get a lay of the land to know what there is. Otherwise, I'm buying everything in sight and it's just ridiculous. <laughs> we we kind of did that in Asheville. Remember, we, we thank goodness we drove to Asheville from New England because when we went to the Asheville Farmer's Market, we bought, I found these hot spiced peaches, mm, jarred hot spiced peaches, and I bought like five quart jars of them. And all those quarts of sorghum syrup, which oh, I right. use as a sweetener in my granola. Right. Oh, yeah. We, that I could just see us on a plane with all that stuff. Sure. <laughs> okay. So that's our bit about farmers markets. We got more about farmers markets coming up. Before we get to the next segment of this podcast, let me say that we have a newsletter. Uh, it is comes out mm, twice, three times a month, maybe. Probably, let's say twice a month, just so I don't stress myself out. You can sign up for that newsletter on our website, bruceandmark.com, or cookingwithbruceandmark.com. It goes to the same place. There is a sign-up form there. I have locked myself out of seeing your email. I see, you know, three people subscribe today, but that's all I see is a number. I can't see your name. I can't record it. I can't sell it, nor can the service record it or sell it. So I've locked all those security protocols in place, and you can always unsubscribe at any time. And let me just say that the content of the newsletter is not related to this podcast. I think the latest newsletter was about gardening. It was. And about what gardening does for me as the writer in our team. So you can sign up there. That would be great. Otherwise, we're moving on to the next segment of our podcast, our one-minute cooking tip. When you finish a jar of jam, you know, you've scraped out the last bit you can with the knife, don't wash the jar or put it in the dishwasher. Instead, leave it with that bit of jam inside on the inside of the glass Add some vinegar, some spices, some olive oil, whatever vinaigrette you like. Make it in that jar, shake it up, and all of a sudden you will have strawberry vinaigrette, raspberry vinaigrette, orange vinaigrette. So use the last little bits. And the same. How come I never thought of, this is your tip, and I've never <laughs> thought of this. So if I I love orange marmalade. So mm-hmm. if I finish a jar of orange marmalade, mm-hmm. you're saying I should make a vinaigrette, a basic vinaigrette in there. Put olive oil and some white wine vinegar and some salt and pepper, even a little Dijon, pick an herb, shake it up. The oil and vinegar will wash the residue of the orange marmalade into itself, and you will have a sour, bitter orange vinaigrette. Well, all right then. I learned something new on our <laughs> podcast today. So there you have it. Up next, Bruce's interview with Leslie Wilcott Henry of the Lexington, Massachusetts Farmers Market. So much more about farmers markets just ahead. Today, we're going to have an inside look at what it takes to run one of the best farmers markets in New England. We're talking with Leslie Wilcott Henry. She's the president of the board of the Lexington, Massachusetts Farmer's Market. Hi, Leslie. Hi, Bruce. Good to see you. It's good to see you. Hey, most people know they can go to a farmer's market and pick up some local eggs, meat, or berries, but they don't have any idea what it took to get all those farmers there every week. So 
What's involved in running a weekly farmer's market like you have in Lexington? That's such a great question, Bruce, because every farmer's market is different and um, approaches it sort of in a different way. The way that Lexington and the founders 19 years ago approached it is they really wanted to focus on what's called producer only. So our market brings in farmers and vendors who grow, create, or produce the product that they're selling. So when you come to the Lexington Farmers Market, you know that you're talking to the people who really understand what you're gonna bring home from their, from their tent. We pride ourselves on being what I like to think of as breakfast to dessert. Mm -hmm. So we look to have a, a really full amount of options for people to buy at the market. So they really can limit what they have to go to the grocery store to get and really focus on buying healthy local food from these small food producers and farms. And, and what that basically means is really getting to know the farmers and vendors that come to our market, making sure that they, um, they are doing what they say they're doing in growing their product and, and creating it. And also seeing where the holes are, seeing sort of, you know, we've got a lot of people who are looking for mushrooms. Can we find a local mushroom producer? Um, can we find people who might have those um, kombucha drinks that people are really into having now on a hot summer day. So so it's I, I think of it as a puzzle or a mosaic and you're always kind of filling in the spots and you're always trying to keep an eye out for that interesting new person out there who has a product that people would really love to have and you'd love to be able to support them as a as a business incubator. Do these puzzle pieces ever come to you or mostly you're going out and looking for them? Um, it's kind of both people. I, I'm I'm proud to say that people hear about our reputation as a well-run, welcoming market community. And so people do come to us there. I think when we're looking for, for things like cheese, cheese can be hard to find. A lot of people are always looking for cheese vendors, cheese producers at their farmer's markets. So we can be looking for those um, those people at the same time that other markets are as well. So there can be a bit of a I don't want to say a competitive thing to find people, but you know we're we're all known to look at each other's markets or visit each other's markets and talk to the people there and see if they're available on our day of the week. It's mm -hmm. it feels like you're not poaching. <laughs> it feels <laughs> like you're just you're learning from the best. Um, so it can it it goes both ways. We get a lot of people who might want to come to the market, but also have a product that we are already have, or mm -hmm. that you know you're always looking for oversaturation. You don't want to have too much of one thing. You want everybody to be successful at the market, both the mm -hmm. shoppers who are looking for a broad array of products and the, the people who sell there. You want them to be successful. So we're careful about that. Looking for these vendors and checking out what you think people are going to want. Is this a year-round job or are you just mostly done in the summer? The Lexington Farmers Market is a year-round job because we have our summer market, which goes from the end of May to the end of October. We have a one-day Thanksgiving market two days before Thanksgiving. And then we have a winter market that is bi-weekly January to April. Mm. Um, Massachusetts has over 200 farmers markets in the summer season. In the winter, there are 50. And most of them tend to be larger markets. We started our winter market because we had not only shoppers saying we'd love to be able to still get access to these wonderful people in the winter, but we had farmers and vendors who said we would really love to have a winter market because and be part of it because it provides a bridge for them to maintain 
relationships with these customers that they build over the summer season. Mm -hmm. It's a source of income and what might be kind of a slower time of year for them. And it also gives access to healthy local food to our customers in a season where people aren't really aware that they can still visit a farmer's market, particularly those who are food insecure and use food assistance that you can only use at farmer's markets for them to be able to come to a winter market makes a makes a big difference to them. So so our market, we basically have markets about 32 weeks out of the year. But really, when you're starting to plan your summer market, you're starting that in February. Mm. You're sending out your applications. You're starting to vet people. You're looking for where the holes are. Um, you're working with your town officials or whomever is this, wherever the space is that you're located. So we have a, a paid um, part-time year-round market manager who runs the market. And that that... We wish it could be a full-time job. We wish we could uh, you know, afford to pay that, but it makes a huge mm -hmm. difference to have that consistency. And we love mm -hmm. having a winter market. You said a little earlier that vendors want to come to a well-run market. What makes a well-run market? That's a that's a really great question because I think it's the it's the secret sauce everyone's looking for. <laughs> I think the leadership is a really important part of a well-run market. You have to have somebody who really understands and is committed to the concept of, of healthy local food. That's the market manager who is the on-site person every week. And also in our case, working closely with our board on all the, all the rules and regulations. You wanna be really clear about how you treat everybody at the market, that everybody has a consistent set of rules, that you hold them to what those rules are, um, that, people feel welcome, not just the customers, but the farmers and vendors all feel welcome with whatever product they're bringing. And I think what we really hold dear is the idea that we're working very hard for our farmers and vendors to be successful by building relationships within the customer community. And so we do call ourselves a family. And that means that you're a little bit careful about who you bring in to your family because you want it to be a collegial space as well. Mm -hmm. Obviously, everyone's trying to sell their product. They're trying to, this is a business mm -hmm. um, that they're trying to run, but you want people to take care of each other as well. So at the end of the market day, when you see people helping each other pack up, when somebody's already got their truck packed, but they see that somebody else, or that we might have an older farmer who needs a little bit of extra assistance. When you see other farmers and vendors going over to help, that feels like a well-run market because people want to take care of each other. The list of vendors at the Lexington Farmers Market is a mouthwatering experience. You can find Asian greens, dry-aged beef. You can find just about everything. But you have not only food items. You've got a knife sharpener who's there bi-weekly. So what's your take on farm markets that sell non-food-related items like jewelry, pottery, and other crafts? That is something... Um that we were very careful about. And it took about, we do actually have artisans at our farmer's market. It took about five years for the um, the founders of the market to feel like that was an appropriate addition when they really wanted to focus on food and farms and protecting farmland. So what um, we do with our artisans, and this is the same for our entertainers and community groups as well, is they are what we call producer only. So we have two artisans who come to our market per week. They are to use an overused word, curated. Um, there are the, the people who organize our artisan's tent really look at the product that they want to sell, make sure that the people are making it. 
themselves and then bringing them to the market and incorporating them into our larger market space. What we find, and, and I think about this, one of our, our farmers years ago, said, who's very experienced with farmer's markets said to me, there's a fine line between a farmer's market and what can become a festival or a fair. And mm -hmm. so we don't want the focus to be turned away from healthy local food and farms. Mm -hmm. So we that's why we limit it to two. That's why we make sure that they're a certain caliber and quality, that they represent the artisan community as well. Um, and so we we it's been helpful to have that local producer standard as we bring in artisans, but we are very careful about who comes to our market. Even with our, we have community groups that come to the market every week. And we, the rule is that it needs to be um, a group that services the Lexington community and surrounding communities as well. There's a million wonderful organizations out there that would love to come to our market, but we wanna really keep it focused on that local idea. How do you tie local people to local issues? Your market accepts payment from food assistance programs like SNAP, but you also offer HIP, Healthy Incentive Program. Tell me what that is and why it's so important. So the Healthy Incentives Program is a, is a Massachusetts um, food assistance benefit that they put in, I want to say about five or six years ago. And it is a direct uh, benefit for those who, are, who receive Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program or SNAP, EBT. It can only be used at farmer's markets or farm stands. So it is a direct benefit to purchase vegetables and fruits from mm -hmm. producers and growers. And so what that means is somebody comes to our market, um, they can get, they use their SNAP benefits at the market. Our market, along with many other markets, has a SNAP match program. The Lexington Farmers Market was the first one in Massachusetts, in Metro West, I should say, Metro West Boston, to institute a match program. So somebody comes to us to get uh, coupons for their SNAP benefits, and we match up to $15 per week. So mm. for $15 of their SNAP benefits, they get $30 to spend at the market for healthy local food. In addition, we have four farms that are certified to accept the Healthy Incentives Program. So we work really hard, and our market manager does a great job at this, at helping educate people how to spend their food assistance benefits most effectively at the market and how to use their their HIP benefits at farms and maybe save their SNAP dollars to purchase fish or poultry or beef. We find that um, the SNAP dollars are spent at the protein-rich farmers. So they're bringing home the seafood, the chicken, the poultry. They might be compiling their benefits for a couple of weeks and bringing that home and then stocking up at the end of the season. So they have they have those foods in their freezer. And it's also part of a, an education program that we really want to try to incorporate into who we are as a market is to let people understand that people who are food insecure are their friends, their neighbors, their coworkers, their colleagues, their, their you know, elderly neighbor it might be somebody who's recovering from an illness. And so to make the community of people who are using food assistance welcome at our market is a really important hallmark of who we are and many other markets are as well. Well, let's talk about that community because I think most people who don't go to a farmer's market don't realize just how important that community environment is. So can you talk more about that aspect of the Lexington farmer's market? Mm -hmm. I, I think the most important thing 
when people come to a farmer's market is that they're making an active choice to be part of this larger community that wants to support healthy local food and also feed their family with really good, delicious food. It, it's an education process. I used to run an event in the early years of the market that's called What's for Dinner? And it was teaching people how to shop seasonally at the market because the first couple of years, 19 years ago, people were like, why don't you have lemons? Why don't you have bananas? Why don't you have avocados? And so when somebody is coming to the market, they're making that active choice to, to learn from the farmers and vendors, to learn how to eat seasonally, to learn recipes. I, mean, I love it when I'm standing in line and I'm hearing somebody say, well, I'm not familiar with that cut of meat. How do I use it? And then you know, our farmer, Charlie, who raised that cow, gives, gives all kinds of tips. And so everybody is learning together. It's also a, a community of people who want to um, bring their kids and educate their kids about how it's important to eat healthy and local. One of the facts that I love is that children are more likely to eat fruits and vegetables if they've met the person who grows them. Mm. So when you bring your kid to a farmer's market, you're also getting them to really think, oh my gosh, that's the person who grew those strawberries. And our farmers love to build those connections. Mm. There's also another statistic, I think, that says a lot that when you come to a farmer's market, you might have anywhere between 15 and 20 interactions during your shopping experience. When you go to a grocery store, you'll, you might have two to four. So in that, that idea of us all being fractured and separate and isolated and not coming together as a community in the way that we used to, a farmer's market is a place that really brings people together around a shared commitment to not just healthy local food, but the, the greater community as well. So it's it's a it's an incredibly uplifting experience. I sound, you know, like I'm filled with strawberries and sunshine here, but but it's a very it's a it's a wonderful place to be. Our our market is Tuesday afternoons and it's the best place to be in a Tuesday afternoon because my husband always jokes, I say I'm going to be home by a certain point and I don't get home until after the market closes because I see friends, I see old colleagues, I see families my children went to school with. It's a wonderful place to be on any market afternoon. That sounds like you have built an amazing community at the Lexington, Massachusetts Farmers Market. Leslie Wilcott-Henry, thank you for spending some time talking about what you do at the market at Lexington. And uh, I look forward to visiting it soon. Thank you so much, Bruce. I look forward to seeing you and Mark there sometime. Take care. Okay, so how did you meet this person, <laughs> the manager of the Lexington Mass Farmer's Market? Leslie took the knitting workshop that I taught in Needham, Massachusetts a few weeks ago. And when we were going around the table and I was talking to people about what they do for a living, and she said that she manages this farmer's market, my instant reaction was, you want to come on the podcast? I said, we were thinking about doing an episode on farmer's markets. You'd be a perfect guest. And she was. Well, that is so interesting. And you were doing another knitting class just to be a shameless plug here, right? I am doing another knitting class on August 5th. It's a Saturday. If you live in Massachusetts around Boston and you want to come to my knitting workshop in Needham at Black Sheep Knitting, we are working on woven stitches and speed knitting. So yeah. I will teach you to knit faster. You, you may not know this, but Bruce has published two knitting books on his own outside of what we do. And Bruce's website, which is BruceWeinstein.net, 
has a lot of patterns mm. for sale, and he has patterns for sale on Ravelry, too, yep, right? I do. Bruce is an inveterate knitter. I mean, seriously, I don't wear a sweater that Bruce hasn't knitted. Okay, before we get to what's making us happy in food this week, let me just say that it would be great if you could subscribe to this podcast, if you could rate it. That would be great. Thank you for the ratings, and thank you for the comments about the podcast. We just saw a comment coming this week. Thank you for the very nice five-star rating, but it said that this person missed our cooking segments in which we actually cooked food. I know we changed the format of the podcast and we stopped actually making dishes and became more an information and content-driven podcast. Maybe we can think about that. And thank you for telling us that. You can also find us on our website, bruceandmark.com, and write us there, especially if you have any questions about recipes in our books. Find us there. Our last episode, as is traditional, What's Making Us Happy in Food This Week. Shanghai knees leek sauce. It's oh. a oh my gosh. dark green yes. jarred sauce that I order a lot of my Chinese groceries from this website called Po Sharp Store. It's actually the online subsidiary of Common Groceries in there. I think they're outside of Quincy, Massachusetts. They're somewhere near Boston. They have everything you could possibly imagine there. And I have had this jar of green leek sauce in my cart forever. I was shopping in our local Asian market in Great Barrington, and oh my goodness, they had the same jar on the shelf, and so I bought man, it. And what did that man in that, the Asian market in Great so Barrington So I'm checking say. out, and he goes, oh, you're making dumplings, Shanghai dumplings. Okay, so... <laughs> What's making you happy, Mark? Well, it's making me happy. Not Shanghai dumplings, but Bruce made Jianping this weekend, the Szechuan meat patties, which aren't exactly Shanghai dumplings, but they are these uh, flour dough meat patties that you make. He makes the little pri- dough little from pies, scratch. Meat pies, yeah. yeah, like hand pies. They're round. He fills them, makes the dough by hand, fills them with a ground beef and spiced mixture, right? Onions and spices, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then you pan fry them until they're crisp. And mm-hmm. we had people over on Saturday night, and we ate. A metric ton <laughs> of <did>. these <laughs> Shanping dumplings. And we were putting chili crisp and this leek sauce on top of oh, each of the dumplings. Such a good combination. It was so delicious. They were so hot <laughs> and spicy. And the leek sauce smelled very pungent mm-hmm. on its own. But when you, it was thi- it's thick. It's, it's not like leek oil. No, no. It's almost like a thinned out pesto. It doesn't yeah. hold its shape. But imagine if you thinned pesto out so it was a little runny. It's like a thick liquid, and but when it's I green. O- when I opened the jar before these people arrived for dinner, I, I was like, oh, oh my God, gross. Like, this <laughs> smells horrible. But then we started putting it on the Jianping, the Sichuan dumplings, meat patties. They're not dumplings, meat patties. The Sichuan meat patties. And the, it was just, with the chili crisp, it was just somewhere over the top. It was unbelievably delicious. I actually make these meat pies and it's on our TikTok channel, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. So check us out and you can see me doing them. Just to say, if you're interested, we have a YouTube channel called Cooking with Bruce and Mark. We have a TikTok channel named Cooking with Bruce and Mark. We kind of kept our brand the same everywhere. But you can also find both of us separately on social media, on Facebook. There's a Cooking with Bruce and Mark group on Facebook. You can find us individually and connect with us there or on Instagram. Sorry, I'm kind of off Twitter. 
Twitter for reasons that we're not going to get into on air. So you can find us there. And of course, under our TikTok channel, we'd love to see you there. That's our podcast for this week. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being on this journey with us. We know there are a lot of food podcasts out there, and it is fantastic that you have chosen to be with us. And we hope you will subscribe so you will continue to be with us here at Cooking with Bruce and Mark. 